Hello and welcome to Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode is our themes episode on this series on blockchain, and it is entitled Blockchain Ideologies and Responses. So that is exactly what we will be covering today. First, ideology. What is the ideology in general behind blockchain and cryptocurrencies? And then I'll talk about some responses. First, a government response from different governments around the world. And then we'll talk a little bit about more of a corporate response and how do companies feel about this new technology? How are they using it? And how is it infringing on their market share? And then we'll talk about the response from individuals and how individual people and citizens are reacting and using or not using blockchain technology. So to start off with, with the ideologies behind blockchain, let's start off with the political leaning of blockchain technology. And you should realize this by now after the past few episodes and describing what it's about, that the political ideology is more libertarian or full-out anarchist. And it really came out of the cypherpunk movement which involved these types of ideas of being able to have a connected world, an online world, where people could control their own data, control their own transactions, basically do whatever they wanted, and you could have pure anarchy. And, you know, the government's evil, corporations are evil, and we need to just stick to the code and the technology. That was kind of the idea and the movement that grew up into the blockchain movement. And you really get that if you read Satoshi's original white paper on Bitcoin. He really goes into those types of things with, um, as I mentioned in a previous episode, the first message that was sent through Bitcoin was mentioning the financial collapse going on in 2008 and the banks getting bailed out at the time by the government. So corporations failed and governments corrupt and crooked. And so that was kind of the idea behind Bitcoin to begin with, is that we need an alternative. Corporations aren't doing it. Governments aren't doing it. We need to do it. We need to take care of ourselves and make sure that these systems and this technology is designed in a way that can facilitate what we want, what's actually best for us as individuals, not what's best for corporations and not just what's best for government institutions, but rather what's best for us. And so to borrow from the left-right spectrum, which is the paradigm that most people view politics in, there are some things that are taken from both sides or at least match and correspond with each side of the political aisle. So if you look on the left, the things that are matching when it comes to blockchain ideology and left-leaning politics include things like inclusiveness and no discrimination and being pro-worker, being anti-corporation, and just progressive ideas in general. One of the main aspects of blockchain technology is that it is inclusive and it doesn't discriminate. Anybody can use the network, anybody can use the technology, it's open to all, and this is something that is very in line with the ideologies of the political left. So it really fits in with that. It's a permissionless system, and that works really well for that aspect of the political left. 
Now, when you get into being pro-worker, which is what the left is, pro-common like man and the average citizen, not those that are wealthy or even upper middle class, but those that are more on the lower economic spectrum, that's often what policies on the left side are oriented to. And that's really the idea behind the cypherpunk idea, as well as blockchain technology in general, that this is something that can be accessed by everyone, the poor, just as much as the rich. The rich don't have any special access to these networks and these systems and this technology. The poor and the working man have equal access to all of this. So that fits in really well. The bent against corporate interest is around on the left side of politics at times. At times it's not, but we'll go ahead and give it to him. Someone like a Bernie Sanders is definitely very anti-corporation and believes them to be largely corrupt institutions that need to be broken up and highly regulated and that kind of stuff, which some of that obviously doesn't apply here. But just the aspect of seeing the big international corporations as the bad guys and being corrupt and not really fulfilling the role that they should in society, that does correspond very well with the ideology behind blockchain as well. That's It's the exact same idea here. And just the progressive ideas in general that come out of the left really do correspond with this progressive new technology as well as these progressive ideologies of we don't need these institutions we can do it ourselves we can access it ourselves we'll build it ourselves and all of this stuff these are progressive ideas so those are all the ways that at least the main ways that i see that the ideology behind cryptocurrencies and blockchain really fall in line with the left side of the aisle politically but there are also many ways that these ideologies correspond with the right side of the aisle, the more conservative approach. So one of those would be free speech. That's a really big deal, usually on the right side, that people have the right to say whatever they want. And even if it's something that somebody doesn't like or is offensive, they still have the right to say that. And again, like the left and like pretty much everything I mentioned, there are caveats and there are plenty of times, usually I would say, that politicians on both sides of the aisles claim to represent certain ideas and they really don't and their policies reflect that. But again, we're giving everybody the benefit of the doubt here. I try to do that. And so we'll say free speech is a right-leaning ideal and that is very upheld in blockchain technology. Everyone has the right to transact with anyone else they want to, to sell whatever they want, to send whatever messages or post whatever they want. And the blockchain technology facilitates that without censoring it and without stopping it or hampering it. So that's definitely in line there. Also, the right is typically more for less regulation when it comes to dealing with businesses and even individuals and individual liberty as well. So basically just having the government play a role that is less influential and less involved in society as a whole with businesses and individuals. And that really is in line with blockchain technology as well, where there actually is no regulation at all whatsoever. And there is actually no government influence at all in the technology and in these systems. So it, it takes it even further, but it does fall in line with those ideas. So the next thing would be hard money. Hard money is something that 
at least used to be a big thing on the right and in the conservative side of the political spectrum. It's not quite as much anymore, but it still kind of falls in that category. And this would be things like having a gold standard for your money. You will regularly see that come up from politicians on the right, and you will pretty much never see that come up from politicians on the left. So it, it still is there. And that is the idea behind Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies is not necessarily that it's backed by gold, although there are some that are backed by gold and other assets as well, but more just the idea that it's not something that gets created and printed out of thin air with one institution that has all control over it, but rather it's a money that has specific parameters, that has a limited supply, or at least a very limited inflation rate, and something that is backed by something. It's not just this digital one or zero that just gets created out of nowhere with nothing, you actually do have to do work. You have to have the hardware, use the computing power, use electricity. You have to stake a certain amount of tokens or coins. There are lots of ways that this happens, but there is something involved with creating more of it and with using it. It's not something that's totally unbacked and just created out of thin air with zero expense. So that falls in line with the right side as well. Going back to a more general view on blockchain ideology, the the idea is just that you have power given to the individual user. You have power given to the consumer, sometimes power given to the provider directly without having the government involved, without having regulations involved, without having money stolen from people and given to other people through redistribution and things of that nature. This doesn't exist in blockchain technology. It is all about giving power to the user, period. And that user, again, may be a consumer. They may be a provider. They may just be a spectator. They may just be storing value. They may be doing trading. You know, There's a million things that someone could be doing but basically, they have the power to control what they're doing, to control where their data goes, to control which currency they use, which platform they use, which technology they get behind. And all this power is only in the hands of the user. It is not in the hands of government or corporations or any other institutions. Instead of direct regulation by these types of institutions, you have business incentives and user behavior that act as regulation, in a sense. If you remember the episode on anarcho-capitalism, or the two episodes on that, I covered covered this as being a big aspect in that theory and that political view. And that would be that basically people vote with their dollars, they vote with their feet. If businesses want to attract customers and gain market share, they can't do that through using the government. And they can't do that by teaming up against consumers or using the wealthy against the poor. Instead, they are actually incentivized to offer a good product at a good price and to do well, and that is how they grow their market share, and that is how they grow in general. And so, in a sense, this acts kind of like a version of regulation. You also have user behavior. If a company is acting crookedly and corrupt, then users have the freedom and it should be fairly easy for them to just switch platforms. They can stop using Ethereum and start using the Cardano network, or they can stop using Bitcoin and start using Bitcoin Cash or vice versa. The point is that the network regulates itself through these incentive models. It's like a rating or review system. You have this in places like 
eBay and Amazon and Airbnb and Uber. We use them all the time with our current technology and it works very well. If I see that the Airbnb I want to stay at has 1,000 five-star reviews with written testimonies that talk about their stay and how great it was and all the different things that they enjoyed and the few things that they didn't enjoy as much but weren't so bad, and there's also pictures that show and prove that they were there and what the conditions were and the specifics that they're talking about, this gives me confidence. If I see this, then I am very likely to trust that that Airbnb rental would be one that I would enjoy as well. And I can get a lot of information out of that. And even if it has five-star reviews, there may be some aspects that may not fit with what my desires are. So even though someone else had a five-star rating for their stay, and then they talked about all the wonderful things they did there, if some of those things are things that I do not want to participate in and I don't want to be around, then maybe I will choose not to go there, even though it has a five-star rating from a thousand people. And so there's a lot I can get out of this. I can really know if this is a place I want to go or not, and what other people's experiences have been, and these types of things. Well, this was the type of system that was also used on the Silk Road, which was the marketplace on the dark web. I've mentioned that in a previous episode as well. And with that, you basically had people doing transactions and buying and selling things with zero regulation, zero government involvement, and there was zero identification. It was all private and anonymous, and the way it worked was through ratings and reviews. Now, a lot of the things that were being sold on there and bought on there were drugs and things that were illegal, and so this was actually very important. If I was going to buy some cocaine, then I would probably want to make sure that, number one, it really is cocaine, but also, number two, it's going to be something that is pure, that I'm not going to take myself and then OD on five minutes later and die. That's not something I want to do, and that's something that I would probably be very worried about if I were a drug user, that my supply was clean, that I actually trusted the source And so if I can see a thousand ratings and reviews of a thousand people that have purchased cocaine from this one seller, and they all have talked about how great it was, there's pictures of it, it went well for them, it was what they expected, everything was good, maybe a few of them even had it tested and posted the results, then I would feel very confident buying cocaine from that source. Now, I will go ahead and tell you, I don't do cocaine. I'm not going to buy cocaine online or anywhere else, and I am not suggesting that anyone else do so. It's just an example. So the point is that even without official government regulation and ratings and standards from an official institution, you can still have a regulated market. It's just regulated very differently. In my view, in my opinion, and I think I've explained this well in other episodes, I believe that it is rated much better and regulated much better when you use the market to regulate itself and competition And I believe that that's just much more effective and much more efficient than having a single body or a few bodies of people trying to make rules back and forth and respond to things that are happening in the market and try to control it. That typically does not work out so well. It also incentivizes things like corruption and conspiracies, which we have talked about a lot on here. So let's go ahead and just move on to the point here, and that would be that we don't need governments 
nor do we need corporations for a prosperous society. And that is what blockchain really enables. That's the opportunity that it brings up is the ability to have a prosperous society with trade, with a type of regulation and stipulations, with voluntary transactions that is all-inclusive, it is not discriminatory, and this can happen thanks to the technology of blockchain. This was not true before blockchain. Although technically you could do it from a personal barter standpoint on a very local level, it was not something that could be expanded nationally and internationally and worldwide. Whereas with blockchain, now it can be, and it is starting to be. And we'll see how that goes, which does lead us into the next section on this episode, which is the response to blockchain technology. And let's just go ahead and start off with the government response, because obviously if I am saying that we don't need a government and this new technology allows us to do things outside of the purview of a government, then the government might not be too fond of this new technology and these new ideas. Well, some are and some aren't. So let's talk about some that are actually supporting blockchain technology. Switzerland is a very good example. You've got an area in Switzerland, Zug, or Zug, I really have no idea how to pronounce that, Z-U-G, and it is known as Crypto Valley. It's kind of like the Silicon Valley of the blockchain space, where you have many different groups and projects that are being worked on there. A lot of Ethereum development is being done there and many other crypto projects, and it is really a haven for that type of thing. I had also mentioned in a previous episode that there was a city that voted on blockchain for their local elections, and that city actually was Zook, the same city I'm talking about here with Crypto Valley. I just looked that up, and that is the city. And so there is a lot of support in Switzerland for blockchain technology, and it goes way beyond those two things, but those are two examples there. Another example would be Malta. Malta is an island nation that has been very friendly to the blockchain world and cryptocurrencies. The prime minister there has actually been quoted as saying that blockchain is the, quote, inevitable future of money. There have also been bills passed as of 2018. There were three bills that were passed together that created a framework for blockchain technology. Now, this is a big deal because most nations, including first world nations like the United States, still do not have clear policy as of 2019-2020 on how blockchain technology should be treated from a governmental standpoint. And Malta has already done so and is continuing to support blockchain technology. Another example would be Japan. Uh, in Japan, cryptocurrencies are considered legal tender. They can be used as legal tender and regulated as legal tender. So cryptocurrencies are actually considered currencies. So that's pretty cool as well. Singapore is another one that is very friendly to blockchain technology. You also have Luxembourg, which uh, created a regulation that says that no tax will be charged until the cryptocurrency is disposed of. So even if you are just trading or doing a transaction of some kind, a lot of times there is no tax associated with that. And it is only when you dispose of the currency that you actually incur the taxation. So they also have some clear regulations, which is nice. And they are friendly 
to a degree, to crypto. Another one would be Hong Kong. Hong Kong is generally considered one of the friendliest nations to do business in in general. They are one of the least regulated overall and have some of the most open markets in many different industries, and crypto is no different. Crypto is considered a commodity, and like many other things in Hong Kong, it is very lightly regulated, so they are very friendly to it. Well, what about some governments that have not been very friendly to cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology? Well, those would be ones like China and Bolivia, where it is actually illegal to use crypto as legal tender for transactions, places like Ecuador and Colombia. You also have countries like Russia and Vietnam, where it's at least illegal to use cryptocurrencies as a payment method. And so these are places that are not very friendly. However, we've seen some of these places start to try to use crypto technology, blockchain technology for themselves and do things like develop their own blockchain networks and their own cryptocurrencies. And this makes a whole lot of sense. But I'll get to that a little more here in just a few minutes. So Moving on from that, you've got countries that have actually used blockchain technology as well, and not just in a supportive way or in making clear regulations, but things like in Switzerland, like I mentioned, the blockchain voting that has actually happened, or in Venezuela, they created the Petro token, which was a state-issued cryptocurrency backed up by oil. Now, this was one that is not very trusted, and I would highly recommend staying far away from it. But it is an example of a country that is actually using cryptocurrency to some degree and using it for their own benefit. There are many central banks around the world that are creating their own digital currencies as well. And I have heard many interviews from people from the IMF, for example, and the European Central Bank and a few others that talk about how this is a technology they are looking at, they are developing, and that they will be using at some point in the future in some way. And that has not been made clear to the public as of now how that's going to look. But it is something that's being actively used. The other set of institutions that we need to look at would be corporations, because this technology does affect individuals, it does affect governments, and it does affect corporations very much. And corporations have a lot to lose and a lot to gain through this new technological advancement. So I will go over a few companies that are actually using blockchain technology and how they're using it and what this looks like just for some examples. Because in general, many corporations are starting to use blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies for their benefit. A lot of companies have just used it as hype. So as everybody's getting hyped up about blockchain and the potential there, if a company comes up and says, hey, we're using blockchain for XYZ in our company and you can use cryptocurrencies here, then they might get some more business and people might like them better. They might market themselves better to a different audience. And so a lot of it's just being used in that way. But the majority of the use that's going on right now in most international corporations is something that is 
more controlled and less decentralized. So they're using blockchain technology or they're using cryptocurrencies or interacting with that world, but doing so in a way that they can actually control instead of an unregulated decentralized system like blockchain technology was created to be. So some examples here, we've got JP Morgan, they have developed what's called Quorum, and that is their own permissioned blockchain. So it's not permissionless, it's not that anybody can join at any point in time, and you don't have to show your ID, you don't have to say who you are, you don't have to ask permission, you just join. That's how Bitcoin is, for example. But with JP Morgan's network, the Quorum network, you actually have to get permission from JP Morgan in order to join. And then once you join, you are a part of that blockchain with all the other people that have joined. And it is a true blockchain in a sense. It's blockchain technology, but it is for a small group that has been allowed to use this platform and they are using it with each other. And that's about it. It's not a public decentralized platform. But that's one example there. Another would be a collaboration effort between IBM and the Linux Foundation and a few other groups with the Hyperledger project. And what that is, is an open source collaborative blockchain technology effort project that is developing a blockchain that will be used by many different industries and many different players. And it is all open source and it is collaborative and how they are building it and using people from many different companies and many different industries to create this new blockchain. And this is a pretty big deal. To list a few of the people involved here, aside from the ones I just mentioned, you've got companies like Kroger and American Express, Cisco Systems, Deutsche Bank, Yale. There are just all kinds of places that are everywhere from academia to the automotive industry to banking to healthcare all over the place. And this blockchain is actually being used to a degree as of the point of this recording. And so it's something that's actually working as well as continuing to be developed. Another example would be Square. And Square is the company that makes those little payment things that you see at a lot of small businesses where they have the little iPad looking computer where you can scan your card and you press the buttons. Do you want to leave a tip? You know, that kind of stuff. It's a payment processor. But they also have the Square Cash app which is similar to like a Venmo type of a thing where you can send money to people. It's really easy, very convenient. They have many users and it's a pretty big project that Square does. And with the Cash App, you can actually buy Bitcoin and a few other cryptocurrencies. And you can also pay with these cryptocurrencies when you pay somewhere through your Square Cash App. And so this is um, a more direct involvement with the blockchain world. However, the caveat is that you don't actually own and control physical Bitcoin. Instead, you are doing similar to what I talked about with the Stellar Network, where you're in a sense holding a token that represents a cryptocurrency. That's basically what you're doing with the Square Cash App. You will buy Bitcoin, and so let's say Bitcoin's at $5,000 a piece, and you buy one Bitcoin. Then if you have $5,000 in your Square Cash App, your $5,000 basically goes away, and in your Cash App, it says you have one Bitcoin. Now, you don't actually physically have ownership of one Bitcoin. You can't transfer that to your own Bitcoin wallet. You don't actually physically have it. 
but you do have the value of it. And my understanding is that Square does actually own physical Bitcoin and that backs up what people are buying. And so instead of me physically owning it, I own a representation of it and then I can use that how I see fit. And so that's um, it's a pretty good use of interacting with the blockchain world and cryptocurrencies. So it's definitely a step forward. The next example would be Facebook. And Facebook, as of this recording, is still developing and talking about launching the Libra project, which is their own cryptocurrency that Facebook is developing themselves. And the idea is that you will be able to send this cryptocurrency through Facebook Messenger or through the Facebook platform in general. They had all kinds of corporate sponsorships and partnerships with people like MasterCard and Visa payment processors like that, as well as some big big name retailers and others. But some of those have started to drop off as of the time of this recording. There were some complications with uh, government interactions because Facebook is a publicly traded company. They do have to meet all the standards and regulations that the governments uh, give them in the areas that they operate in, which is all around the world. And so that's a lot of regulation to deal with. That's a lot of compliance to be held to. And they're working on that. I know Mark Zuckerberg has been called up in front of the U.S. Congress multiple times, and there have been many other things like that where they're having to deal with this. They still say that they're planning on launching the Libra cryptocurrency sometime in the relatively near future, and that is still something they're going to do. But we will see how that plays out. It'll be interesting. It seems as though they are taking some of the aspects of the Bitcoin and blockchain ideology. However, it will be a more centralized blockchain, which is kind of the whole point of blockchain is that it's decentralized. I think this is going to have some aspects of decentralization, but not a whole lot. And so there, there are definitely some issues there. Uh, what can they track? What are they looking at? Where's the data? And there's a lot of questions there. So we'll see how this plays out. But it is another example of a big name company, Facebook, dealing directly with blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, as in developing their own. So that's another example. The final example I want to mention here would be the BACT project. And this is done by ICE, which is the Intercontinental Exchange, which is one of the biggest international exchanges around for things like futures trading and stuff like that. And what the BACT program is, and BACT is B-A-K-K-T, this is designed to handle custody and markets and payments and compliance. And it is a platform that will deal with cryptocurrencies, mainly in doing these things, and that is their overall plan. But as of right now, it is launched and being used just for trading futures contracts. And these are actual physical futures contracts that are intended for institutional investors and institutional traders. And this is the platform they have developed. Again, this is a very serious player. One of the biggest exchanges in the world has developed um, this 
platform and has already released physical futures contracts for Bitcoin at least, and they will soon be, at least plan on soon, releasing Ethereum contracts and will expand from there. Again, their idea and their ideal is to do custody, markets, payments, and compliance. So that's a lot more than just doing trading and physical futures contracts. I'm going to wrap up these examples there because there are so many alliances and partnerships and projects and all this stuff. I'm not going to elaborate any further. I think we have had enough here and that gives plenty of examples and plenty of different industries and plenty of different things that are going on that I think you get the idea of what corporations are doing. But overall, when you look at the response by governments and the response by corporations, most adoption as well as most rejection is oriented to seek to gain control or to profit. And that's the main motivation. So it's either that a government is trying to gain control of their population by using blockchain technology where they can actually trace and track every transaction, every individual, everything that's going on on that network and they control it all. That's a lot of control. Or they're seeking to gain control by not allowing people to go on to decentralized platforms that they can't track and they can't trace and they don't know what's going on. It's outside of regulation. So they keep those things out. And so that would be the rejection aspect. And so we see both sides. And the same is true of corporations. But Overall, it seems like the majority of these implementations really subvert the ideology as a whole. There are things like private blockchains, and there are fiat currencies that are doing basically just a digital version and calling it a cryptocurrency. There are centralized blockchains that are starting up. There are ledgers that are easily traceable and intentionally easily traceable because that is what the government wants to do is trace people and track people. And the same with corporations. They live off of data. Like all other times in history, information is the most valuable thing, period. And so we look at this in terms of big data in today's world with today's technology. But that is something that all corporations and all governments are really trying to take hold of as much as they can. And blockchain technology, on one side, the pure form and the pure ideology really protects people from that and gives individuals power to step away from that and protect their data and their information. However, on the flip side, blockchain technology does give the technology to governments and corporations to be able to very thoroughly track and trace people and follow people and know exactly what's going on. And so it can be used in that sense as well. And that's the sense that it seems to be being used by corporations and governments in general. And it seems like individuals are leaning more towards the decentralized projects. So again, we'll see how this goes. Adoption is very small right now. And so there is a lot of room to grow and there's no telling what the future will look like with this, but we can see trends at least. And so that's what I'm trying to point out here is what the trends are, what the worries are, what the potential is, that kind of stuff. But speaking of what individuals do, let's talk about the reaction and response from individuals. Most individuals are basically just totally uneducated when it comes to blockchain and cryptocurrencies. To be honest, most individuals are totally uneducated in just about every aspect we talk about on this podcast. And that was actually my motivation for doing this podcast, because 
if by any chance you finally find somebody that knows a lot about politics and they know a lot about different political theories and philosophies, they probably don't know a whole lot about something like blockchain or anarcho-capitalism or how the education system was started and formed and things like this. So I really wanted to present all of these things together, the government, money, and education, all these systems and how they work together, how they've been influenced, what are the negatives, how do things look right now, where are they pointing, all of that. That was the goal of this podcast. And related to blockchain and cryptocurrencies, it, it seems that in general, most people are not very educated. They may be aware of what Bitcoin is or roughly what blockchain is, but that's generally about as far as it goes. So we're still in the very early stages when it comes to this technology and adoption by individuals. There are also low incentives for people to come into the market because in general, people trust corporations and governments even though they don't trust corporations and governments. It's a very complicated relationship here. So if you ask the general person on the street, do you trust politicians? Are they honest and hardworking? Generally, you're going to get a response of definitely not. If you ask the same thing about corporations, are corporations doing what's best for society as a whole and not lying, cheating, or stealing? And the answer generally will be definitely not. They definitely lie, cheat, and steal and do not do what's best for society as a whole. And so on one hand, most people, the average citizen that you talk to, does not trust the government and politicians, nor do they trust corporations and corporate executives. However, when it comes to their actual behavior and their purchasing habits, it seems like they do fully trust these things. So it is actually fairly common to see a don't tread on me sign or flag right next to a thin blue line flag. So what that means, if you don't know, the don't tread on me sign is representing libertarianism, which is more of an anti-government movement. And the thin blue line sign, if you've ever seen like a black and white flag with a blue line across the middle, that is representing supporting the police. And so the police are the representation of enforcing the laws of government. The libertarian ideal is that there should not be any infringement on people's liberties or rights by the government, and hence most of the laws should not be enforced. So those are basically direct opposites. However, people hold these contradictory views in their head somehow. I guess they don't think it through all the way, or I don't know. Again, it's complicated. So it's very interesting. When you hear people talk about evil corporations and all these bad things, they're just out for profit, all this stuff, these are the same people that are often using platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and searching through the Google platform and watching videos on YouTube and participating in all these things that they are giving all their data to in exchange for just being able to use a simple and free service. So it is worth it to them, and they trust these corporations with all of their data and all of their information, and in exchange, they get to do some free entertainment, basically. And so, yeah, they, they are trusting these corporations through their actions, even though if you ask them, are these corporations trustworthy, they would say no. And so it's really hard because... What we really care about when we're talking about adoption of any technology is what people are actually going to do. What are their actions going to be? And in truth, right now, that does not seem to be pointing towards adoption of a new technology, this technology in particular, 
because people's actions are pointing to the fact that when it really comes down to it, they just trust the corporations and they trust government overall. They don't see another option. They're pretty much uneducated when it comes to other options, and they're usually uneducated in why governments and corporations should not be trusted in general and the specifics of what that has looked like in the past and what that currently looks like. So that leaves the general public with a low incentive to get into something like blockchain because it does actually take a little bit of effort. There's a few extra clicks. There's a little bit of extra education that you have to give to yourself. You have to learn on your own. And there just isn't a lot of incentive to do that because people are perfectly fine in general with the platforms that are out there now, the corporations that are out there now, the actions of their own governments. If they vote harder, you know, it'll it'll fix the government. And if they speak out on social media, then Facebook will probably change its ways and so on and so forth. It's, yeah, a little complicated and contradictory, but that's just the way it is. And so when we look at the adoption of blockchain technology, that is a hurdle. The extra steps in general that it takes to use blockchain is a hurdle in and of itself. It does kind of kill adoption for a mainstream audience. Most people want something that is very simple, that is very easy, that is free, that is automatic. These are the things that they want. And although nothing is free in this world, people still believe that government programs are actually free, that the government does give away stuff for free, and they still don't realize that they're paying for it through taxes and theft and inflation and things like this. They also truly believe that platforms like YouTube and Facebook and all this stuff are free. Well, they're free in terms of money, but you are paying for it with your data. And that is the transaction there. You're not paying for it with dollars. You're not paying for it with Bitcoin. You are paying for it with your personal information and your personal habits and data. So it's not free. But when you look at blockchain, it's also not free. And you can see the transaction cost and all that stuff is very transparent. But for some reason, people don't see that everything else they use is not free either. And so if they see that there is some sort of minuscule fee associated with using a cryptocurrency or an exchange platform or whatever, then that can turn them off as well. Same with the easy aspect. It's not as easy because you do have to know roughly how blockchain technology works, or at least it's best to. It is best to investigate a cryptocurrency project before you buy any of that cryptocurrency because there are plenty of scams that have occurred and that are still going on. And there are plenty of projects that really just don't deserve to be in existence. And so it would be very inadvisable to actually purchase any of these. And if you do, they very well might go under and it might be worth nothing and you might lose all your money. And so stuff like this does happen, which means it is not quite as easy. You can't just blindly trust a company. I can blindly trust Facebook with my data. And the worst that happens is my data just gets out there to everybody. And so be it. I didn't lose any money. And that's what people really look at. So overall, for wrapping up this episode, just in general, it just is complicated. It really is. There is an ideology behind Bitcoin that is one way, that is decentralized, that's all about freedom and liberty and these types of things, things that we have talked about on this podcast many times over. But the way that it is being used by governments and corporations is pretty much the exact opposite. It's being used in centralized ways, in ways to track people and 
limit people's freedoms and incorporate regulations, this kind of thing. And so that's kind of the opposite. And then when you get into the individuals, it gets even more complicated where people's views don't even really make a whole lot of sense. And people just want cheap, easy, free, you know, whatever. And they don't seem very motivated or educated in why they should move over to blockchain technology and use it and use cryptocurrencies and that kind of stuff. So there are problems there. Now, before I do end the episode, there's one more thing that I meant to talk about in the previous episode, and I left off, and I thought it was interesting, and it does kind of relate to individuals and blockchain and tokenization in general. So I talked about tokenization in the previous episode, and that is about basically taking an asset and creating tokens that would hold the value of that asset, and then you can do a lot more with this, and you're doing all this through blockchain technology, so it's trustless and decentralized and all these good things. Well, there is an interesting concept that some people have started to use, but it really has not gained any popularity as of this point. And so we'll see if it goes anywhere. But it is very interesting. And it's something I wanted to mention because I've thought about the potential here. And it's, yeah, it's just very interesting. And we'll see. But this idea is tokenizing people. And so I am a person, and what if I created tokens that represented the value of me as a person? And that could look many different ways. That could be my choices and decisions. That could be my purchases. That could be my income. There are many different ways of looking at value. It could include all these things. And you could represent that in a token. And then you could sell those tokens and people would own shares in you as a person. And so it gets really interesting. If you think about something like funding education, like going to college, there are programs similar to this where a company will pay for someone to go to college, and in exchange, that person signs a contract where they guarantee they will work for that company for, let's say, four years after they graduate, and then they are released from the contract, and they can stay or leave, whatever. But that's how they repay the corporation for sending them to college, and that's the way it works. There are other schemes where a corporation or a group will pay for someone to go to college. And in exchange, that group will receive a percentage of that person's income for the next five years after they graduate or however long. And some colleges can even do this. And so these are interesting ways of funding education. And it really expands when you talk about tokenization because a student can basically create tokens that represent themselves and let's say that these tokens represent the value of their income. So at the time, a person's income may be zero. They're going to be a full-time student. They're not going to be working, but their future income is going to be fairly high. Maybe they're getting into cybersecurity with an estimated starting salary of $60,000, and within five years, they're going to break $100,000. That's at least the estimate. And so with this, their future value of their income is very high. And so it might be worth it for an investor to buy tokens at this point, even though the person is not making profits as of now, but in expectation of these future incomes and profits that come from the person getting a job and starting to earn an income. So what this may look like is the person may create tokens that represent maybe 10% of their income over the next 10 years. 
And so maybe they create 10 tokens, each representing 10% of their income. So that totals 100%. And then they might sell just two of them or just three of these tokens, because if they sold all of them, then any money they made for the next 10 years would theoretically and legally go to whoever owns the tokens. And if that's not you, then your whole income goes somewhere else. You don't really want that. But what you could do is, say, sell two tokens. So that would be 20% of your income over the next 10 years. Well, you know that the next four to five years are going to be zero as far as your income coming in. And actually, the way it really works is you're going to owe money for your college expenses. So what you would try to do is sell these two tokens at a price that would cover the cost of your college tuition, or at least most of it. And that's how you would use the money you would raise through selling these two tokens, this 20% of your income for an estimated 10 years. And then that would pay for your college. Then when you graduate college, let's say you do it in five years, then the next five years is spent in the industry of your major. In this example, that would be cybersecurity. So you get a job in cybersecurity and your starting salary is $60,000 a year. Well, you do have to pay out 10% of that to one token holder and another 10% to another token holder. So each token holder will get $6,000 a year of your salary for that first starting salary. And that would likely change every year. You'll get raises, you'll get bonuses, you might get a different job. And let's say by the time the 10-year mark is up in total, you've been in the workforce for five years, maybe you're making $100,000. And each one of these token holders then would be making $10,000 a year off of your income. So it's a good deal for them overall if you meet the projected amounts that you think you're going to make or that they think that you're going to make in the future. And it's a good deal for you because you're funding your college and you're getting some money up front in order to reach that potential. And they would likely work with you, maybe give you some consultation and mentorship because they want you to be successful so that they can make money. Even if it's completely selfish, it is still good for you because when you do well, they do well. And it's just like investing in a company. There are plenty of companies that are losing money every year, but they have the potential in the future to make massive amounts of money. And so investors are investing in upfront. They're getting the money in so that these companies can put it in to R&D and building out their services and products. And there are big investors that are doing consultations with these companies and helping them out, making connections, networking for them. And the result is that in general, many of these companies will grow up and get very big and start making lots of profits. And the investors in turn will make a lot of profits off of owning shares of their company. And so it's you can do the same thing with a person in many different ways. Again, it could be through an income sharing agreement or something like that, like I mentioned in this example. Another example would be if you consider the value of a person in the decisions that they make. So let's say that I am selling 100 tokens of my decision-making power. And let's say I sell them all. And so all of my decision-making power is in the hands of whoever these token holders are. It might be just a few token holders that each bought up, maybe 20 or 30 tokens, or it might be 100 different people that are holding these tokens. I don't know. But the way it may be set up is maybe every time I have a decision of a certain arbitrary level of importance, at least, 
I would post that to the network and any token holders can vote on what I do. So if I'm trying to decide on what I am going to eat for breakfast, I could eat some leftover pizza or I could eat some oatmeal or I could eat some sardines. I'm not quite sure. I have all those things in my pantry and in my fridge, but I don't know what I'm going to eat. And, you know, it's not really my decision after all because I sold that, right? And so I post it to the network. There's a vote by the token holders and probably you do majority wins. It'd be democracy. And according to what people voted that I should do, that's what I would do. Uh, More than likely in this scenario, it would be kind of like a reality TV show, probably have some cameras, maybe you'd snap pictures and post them on Instagram or the network in general. I don't know how that would look, but it'd be interesting. Maybe you go on a date and you're recording part of the date and you basically get back to the token holders about how it went and then they vote on whether you go for a second date or what you do about it or how you respond to this person when they call you the next day. It's just you know, there's a lot of opportunities there. There are a lot of interesting things that could be dystopian as well. But it, again, gets pretty interesting. And that becomes possible when you tokenize a person. You could also have totally new employment models. So if I am an employer, I own a company, and I'm going to hire somebody to come work at my store. Let's say I have a store and I sell widgets, and I need someone to come in here and work. They're going to stock the shelves and run the cash register and do a few other things. Well, what I could do is maybe purchase some tokens, some shares of that person's labor. So maybe that person also has 100 tokens, and that represents the eight hours of their day that they're willing to dedicate towards earning money. And I might want to just purchase the rights to four hours of their labor. So I purchase half of that person's tokens. And so with this, I gain the right to that person's labor for this period of time. Now, there may be other companies and other people that want this specific person to work for them as well. Maybe it's someone that is very good at customer service and they have a good record. They're very responsible. This is not a very high-tech job. I don't need anybody with a college degree. I just need really a student that is very responsible, will show up every day and do what they're told. That's what I really want. But there are other companies that want this too. And so there are other companies that will be wanting to purchase this person's tokens and gain the use of their labor as well. So you get into some bidding wars and there is an open market in this person's labor. And so with this, that's what sets the price of the person's labor. Maybe that person's labor is worth $10 an hour. Maybe it's worth $20 an hour, maybe $30 an hour. That would all depend on what people are willing to pay to have this person's services. And this person is probably going to be well represented. If they have tokens of themselves, there's probably a posted record of their job history, of a lot of their transactions, of personal projects they've worked on, of whatever they are willing to release. And in general, probably the more they're willing to release, the more information that's out there, the greater the chances are that a company is going to really want them and bid up their token price in order to get them. And so they're probably going to release a lot of information. So corporations and companies and business owners are going to be able to know a lot about this person, read a lot of ratings and reviews from other people that have purchased this person's tokens and use their labor. And so you would have a market for employees based on a token model. 
And again, it's really interesting. There's a lot of potential here and a lot of different ways that could go. But I personally find it to be something that I would love to see get explored a little more and hear about a little more. I have heard of an NBA player that was going to be selling tokens in himself. I'm I'm not really sure how he was going to set that up or how he is going to set that up. We'll see. And there's a few other things that I've heard some minor hints about this type of thing. But in general, I haven't really heard it completely fleshed out or explored or anything else like that. So I am looking forward to seeing what becomes of this potential and this opportunity, because I'm sure something will become of it. Some of these types of things will happen and we'll see what it is. So that will wrap up everything that I wanted to cover in today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all of your support, people that have shared this podcast on social media, mainly on Twitter, and people who have shared via word of mouth. I've seen this show recommended on Reddit as well, and it was actually recommended a few times by people that were not me. So that's something that is very cool to see. Thank you very much for whoever you are. And I also have to give a shout out to the Patreon community for the person who is willing to support this podcast financially. Thank you very much for doing so. It is very helpful and encouraging, and it's something that I do greatly appreciate. For the rest of you listeners, if you have not done so, please do leave a rating. Please do leave a review. Please do email me, send me feedback, follow me on Twitter, all this kind of stuff. I would really appreciate it. I enjoy that interaction. So please do so. Please get involved. Also, please come back for the next episode. It will be the last episode of this series on blockchain technology, and it will be the case study episode. So the plan is to do a case study on both a cryptocurrency and a blockchain platform, kind of like I've done in the past few episodes. I started off with what the technology was, and then I got into cryptocurrencies. Then I got into the platforms. Then I got into some of this other stuff. Well, I would like to do kind of a similar flow with the case study episode. So I'll start off with a case study on the PIVX project, and that is a cryptocurrency. It's one of my favorite projects personally. And then I'll do a case study on the Cardano project. And so that will cover the more platform aspect with many other use cases. So hopefully you come back for that. If you have not done so, please listen to the previous episodes in this series. It's at the very minimum meant to be listened to as a series, if not ideally as a season as a whole. Start with episode one and come all the way to now. But if you're not going to do that, at least go to the first blockchain episode and then catch up to where we are because they do build on themselves. So thank you very much for listening. I'm out of here. Peace. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.